Hey, 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 welcome to another Pastor Duke podcast. I have a blessing for you. My good friend, evangelist Jamie Ragel is here. We hooked up at uh, Pastor Wayne Gwynn's uh, memorial service yesterday. We lifted up Jesus. Uh, we share that same mentor, man of God. He's with the Lord now, and we are thankful. Uh, for that. Uh, <clears throat> we're coming to you from Melbourne, Florida. The S- Sunshine State. How about that? It's actually, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard, but there's a heat advisory today They're saying the temperature will feel like about 115. About like yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Almost makes me uh, long for New York. Uh, yeah, let's, New York. Head, let's head up there. <laughs> New York summers, <laughs> not New York winters. Jamie, been friends for a long time. God's used you hugely in our, is that a word, hugely? We're going to make it one today. Okay, we got it. Hugely in our church. You're the only uh, speaker we ever had that uh, Sunday morning crowd, we had about uh, 675, and Sunday evening crowd, we had about 750. Correct. In all of our years of pastoring Temple Baptist in upstate New York, uh, God used you, our people love you, and it's great to sit down together. Uh, just introduce yourself a little bit. What do you do? Why do you do it? Well, you know, Preacher, I started uh, in 1976 singing Southern gospel music with a group called the Dixie Melody Boys. And uh, they were based out of Kinston, North Carolina, not too very far from where you're living now, actually. And uh, that evolved into a heartfelt call uh, in my life to pursue the ministry of evangelism. So in about 1980, I so, did just that. So could I say this? You didn't see this coming. Uh, no. As a matter of fact, what's really interesting is, you know, we talk about the call of God on a person's life, but there's also a passage that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I desired the office of the evangelist. I wow. wanted to. And, and and again, I loved the music I sang, but it didn't scratch the itch that I had inside. To see tangible results, people getting saved week after week, I am thrilled by that even today, uh, 40, 43, 44 years later. How can you get 44 years of ministry and you're only uh, 47 years old? How, well, you know, you it's, it's this time warp we live in. Okay, <laughs> no, okay. I tell you, I promise you, I feel every year of it. I'm soon to be 66. Okay, soon to be 70, so you're just a, you're still a youngster. <laughs> Better a youngster than a gangster. Amen? I know that's right. So, was there a point in time you're you're singing and then, you know, you're on the stage and you know you guys those guys have a lot of fun when they sing. They do. And is there like a point or, or was a place where you could pr- take it back to? And you know, um, Ed would always say, especially in a church setting, would you give an invitation at the end of our concert? Invite men and women to know Christ. And. Uh, something began to take place. And that was here in these few little moments of invitation, we began to see men and women respond to receive Christ as their savior. And I thought, you know, God, if you would ever let me, and what really defies explanation preacher is I have no college, no formal college training. I had no alumni to call upon. I'm a voracious reader. I read about two books a week. Um, as a matter of fact, just finished reading the old classic, uh, why revival Terry's by Leonard Ravenhill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Classic. But, um, you know, I, I began to pursue that. And I remember, uh, one of my mentors, an old 
crusty preacher from Cincinnati, John Rawlings. Uh-oh. He said, uh, I was hoping his name would come up. He said, "Now, Jamie, you need to get down there, Kentucky, and go to those uh, fellowship meetings and learn. Go see some of those fellas and tell them you're a range evangelist and you'll come off the range and preach it through." What's What's tragic but true is I would find that so many pastors would look at me and say, you know, where did you go to school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, you know, uh, tell me about your education. Well, you know, I just, I know God wants me to do it. And it was a, it was almost an exercise in futility trying yeah, to get meetings. Yeah. I was a preacher. I would ask you all those same questions. Absolutely. Yeah, and and rightly so. And rightly so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you were highly recommended to me. Kurt Rao uh, recommended. I love him today. so much. He's with the Lord. Did you know? I that? had no idea. Yeah, he just uh, he departed in Springfield last year. Oh yeah. no! His last years were glorious. He merged with one of his young preacher boys, uh, John Kearns, who married one yes. of the girls from his church. John was his youth guy. John came to East Long Meadow, and the two churches merged, and uh, both of them surged in growth. And Kurt went down with his boots on. He's a uh, oh, lovely man. Yeah, yeah, lovely so, man, so, humble. I didn't roll the dice with you, man. I just said if Kurt every if Kurt spoke, everybody listened. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I remember. That's funny you mentioned that because there would be a period of time every year when I would go to New England, and you mentioned East Longmeadow. I met John, but I also preached for a guy up there named David Chase. Mm-hmm. He was Dave. at East Longmeadow, and a guy named Jim Edge, yeah. who was up in that area as well. But I met Kurt and would preach there almost every year. Yeah, those are all my buddies. Uh, those guys I did ministry with for the, my 45 years, I wasn't quite in New England, but I was on the edge of it, and they'd invite me over the line, you know. So uh, you got rolling, and how old were you when you started doing evangelism? Do you know, <clears throat> I was about 22 and a half years old when I began to pursue the full-time ministry of evangelism. I had to have a, a mechanism by which I was able to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. So I found a church uh, who, who was willing to engage with me and say, look, we'll, we'll help you if you'll help us. We'll give you so many dates a year that you can go out. And uh, it, it was there at the Bethel Baptist Church in Cincinnati that it all began. Soon, who was the pastor there? His name was Larry Cornett. The name. And uh, he pastors in a little suburb uh, of Cincinnati now. I, I Actually, maybe his son does near Deer Park, a little town called Ross Moyne. But uh, soon after that, Dr. Rawlings said, why don't you come to Landmark? And I began to work uh, out of Landmark. I, I, I don't know if you remember, Duke. Uh, Dr. Rawlings used to have what we called satellite churches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're kind of like campus churches are today. But uh, And so I would pastor those, and he would say, you know, you can be a youth director this week. Next week, you have to lead singing. That was just Dr. John. Yeah, next week, you're driving a, 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 a church bus. bus. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we had uh, one Sunday, <clears throat> one of our members came and said, you know, I saw one of the bus drivers at Landmark. He was smoking as he was going down the road. And, well, you're just too edgy about that stuff. I'll get a baboon <laughs> if he'll drive a Sunday school bus. But I remember thinking Dr. Rawlings was like, He's that restaurant manager that says, if you ever want to be a restaurant manager, you have to learn how to wash dishes, wait tables, bus yeah. tables, cook, do fries, take out the garbage. And that's, yeah. I owe a lot to him. Yeah, we all do. He was a, a motivator for me. Indeed. And he, money from their church went to 
build the original auditorium at Cook Road Baptist Church. Uh, they helped that church in the early 60s. I got saved there in 1972. I was a hippie who smoked pot in their parking lot, and then one day I got invited <laughs> in, and they loved me. I was well, where a, do you smoke it at now is the question. Well, that's, that's none of your business. <laughs> you know? it's, hey, it's legal in New York. They legalize it in New York. And got, oh. that's, maybe that's why he and took me out of South New York. Carolina. He couldn't trust me to be in New York, so... Uh, I grew everything in my garden except marijuana. Yes. I got, I, my wife can vouch for that, but she has no credibility. So, <laughs> <I don't. laughs> so uh, you, you got started on the road with like once a month at first and yeah, twice a it, month. It was, it was, I was fortunate if I had once a month, and uh, it evolved. I think the real turning point in my life in ministry is when I began to speak for Bailey Smith, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and Bailey had a conference about 10 a year called Real Evangelism, Hickory Grove Baptist Church in Charlotte, First Baptist Woodstock, uh, churches all over the Did country. Did you say Woodstock, man? Woodstock. <laughs> oh, Woodstock, Georgia. Suburb of uh, Atlanta. Oh, yeah, broke my heart there, guy. <laughs> but, uh, and it was, uh, <clears throat> it was really interesting. My first, uh, my first time I preached at Woodstock, I got 400 invitations during that conference to go and speak. Oh, man. And then the, uh, the schedule filled up, and uh, there was a time, to my chagrin, I was traveling uh, 275 days a year, and that's not healthy. That's mm-hmm. just not healthy. No matter who you are, no matter what you think you're doing, uh, you're going to pay a price when you travel that much. Even though you feel like, hey, I'm doing the right thing, I don't think you're prepared for it. Your family's certainly not prepared for it, and uh, but God is blessed, and everything is cyclical. You know, I'm I'm down to about 100 days a year now, but I'm grateful for that. And that's about all I can do at my age. Yeah. Do you have a meeting uh, through those years on the road uh, that just kind of stands out? Something unusual from God might have happened at a meeting? You know, I was at Highland Park Baptist Church, which was the mother church of Tennessee Temple University. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yep. And uh, there was a gentleman by the name of David Bowler, who was the pastor, and um, we began a revival meeting there. Long story short, we baptized, I think, 400 or so during that meeting. But what was interesting is uh, it was also on the radio, and and truck drivers were pulling off the side of the road and, and asking the Lord to save them. One service, there was a young teenage girl and her mother, and they were traveling down the road, and they were turning the dial on the radio, and she began to listen to this sermon, and she said, Mom, do you hear what that guy's talking about getting saved? And she said, well, yeah. She said, well, I need to get saved, and Mom, you need to get saved. And right then, <clears throat> with no delay, they drove to the Highland Park Baptist Church. They got out of the car during the service, Duke, walked down the middle of the aisle and got saved. Uh, Dr. Lee Robertson said it's the greatest revival uh, meeting he's ever been a part of. Uh, matter of fact, David Snow, the dean of men, was saved. There were professors saved during that meeting. It was a God thing that no one but he can take credit for. But that's one of those standout moments. Liberty Baptist Church, it's now called Liberty Live in Hampton, Virginia. Hundreds saved myself and a, a gentleman named Charles Billingsley, who's a wonderful gospel artist, singer. Uh, those are just some of the highlighted meetings. But you know, I, I have some of the most precious memories at, you know, little churches in Decatur, Texas, membership 40, you know, where God showed up. And I'm just grateful every day to have a chance. I don't care where it's at uh, to be able to share 
what God's laid on my heart. It's interesting. You illustrated at our church what you just said. I I didn't really know you, and I promoted you for our Saturday evening kickoff something, which is probably not the best way to do it. But uh, I, you know, I of course as a pastor, I promote everybody, and well, you know, Pastor Duke, <laughs> he thinks everybody's awesome, and so I didn't have a lot of credibility with my people either, you know. <laughs> But they loved me and treated me great. But uh, I, I was so embarrassed. I think we had like 50 or 60 people out for whatever we did on a Saturday night. And, you know, we, we were running about 750 at the time, I think, and seven or 700. And and uh, you just preached as though as, as though there was 7,000 there. Yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things I've always done is I said, Lord, if you'll open the door, I'll be grateful to go through any door. I have now, you know, somebody said, well, we want to have you at our church, but man, we cannot afford you. We heard that your flat fee is X amount of dollars. And I remember saying, I don't know who you heard that from. Yeah. I I will never, I will never divulge. If, listen, if somebody says, hey, what's your budget? Listen, I'm happy to share that, but I have always come for a love offering because he, he knows how to take care of us. God knows how to take care of us. Yeah, I'm sure there's some high churches and some low churches, Absolutely. but that's okay. But it, it, always, it always works out uh, for the good. And uh, well, I remember that first time you were with us, those uh, 50 or 60 people who were that for that Saturday night service were really glad they were there. And number two, they went home, and even though it was probably you know, 9, 9, 30, 10 yeah. o'clock, they got on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and they were on the phone Sunday morning, and uh, they, they, if they had anybody that was unsaved, and we all do, especially in the north, in the northeast. Yeah, uh, they wanted them to come and 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 hear you preach and uh, experience what happens in a in a church. There's a bunch of Jesus lovers get together, lift up His name. So, um, you know, I was I was thinking about that meeting, Duke, and I vaguely remember that Saturday. But we have for years done a comedy cafe on Saturday night, and it always turns evangelistic. But uh, I have found, at least for me, and I've had to check myself on so many levels because I have a comedic mind, and if I'm not careful, it'll it'll just it'll just be a comedy show, and I, and I don't want that. Well, to my listening audience, that's not just only true when you're in the pulpit. I remember driving with you out to Massachusetts. I think <laughs> drop you off for our next meeting. And he, he just, <laughs> you can't stop being funny. You're almost What's as bad it? as my granddaughters, you know? Well, I t- at least they're prettier. I, but you uh, know, but, uh, but I, th- you know, I think different. I, I told my dad. He said, "Son, sometimes you need to dial it back." I said, "Well, did you hear that, Dad? That commercial we just heard. X lax works while you sleep." <laughs> I said, is that, is, that, "Is that bother you, Dad? Have you thought about what the man's saying?" And but it's just a, to me, humor's like anesthesia. It allows you to say some very poignant, strong things. And hopefully be able to convey the message of truth. A merry heart does good uh, like a medicine. And I believe that with all my heart. People people have a lot of hurt in their life today, Pastor, as you know. And we so need a word fitly spoken, bathed in love. And it's not bad if we have a chuckle along the way. Yeah, I've seen that power of that. Uh, I do a little bit of that in my preaching. It's not by plan. It just sort of happens. But um, I, I saw you, it was like you would do stereotypical people, what you have in every church, you know, uh, Brother Know-It-All. Oh, I, don't know what you call, I think you had a name for him, 
Safer space, we yes. <laughs> work the uh, parking lot security. Uh, <laughs> now, that's not a paid position. Hey, man, I wouldn't take a dollar for that. Hey, glory. And uh, I'll make sure that you're parked and checked and uh, you'll be ready to go. I'll even show you where the bathrooms are. Hey, man, we've got one out there on the back 40 we'll take you to. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, of course, there's Alvon to Maxwell. Uh, several people have asked me to sing. I've written several songs, and the whole time she's talking, I'm saying, who's asking you to sing? I've heard you. If you can sing, I can fly. But, uh, yeah, it's humor. When you do that, and I, in our church, everybody's thinking that is. And they, they know they, who it is. They know who it is. And what's really cool is the people – the people that you're doing, I think they kind of know who they are too, which is wonderful because they saw in a humorous way how they are. Absolutely. And the Holy Spirit, they're, they're not wicked people. They're just, no. just a little out of balance. <laughs> and I saw God correct some people in uh, my church. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they got corrected and uh, they, they laughed as they were doing it. That's me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know why pastor puts up with me. <laughs> and they, they came to me. Well... They said, I know you didn't tell, tell Brother Regal about me, but it sure felt like it. But I know you didn't. And uh, and God used it. I love how I love how God takes people who are so inept in many ways and despite our imperfections, uh, can use whatever we bring to the table for his glory. You know, I I've listened to accolades, but I, I have to say, Duke, you you in my opinion are Truly, uh, one of the most respected pastors, preachers, uh, knowledgeable prophetic speakers, and uh, people are so engaged uh, in prophecy today. And um, I, I'm just glad. I'm thankful for our friendship. I, I'm sad that we had to come yesterday for a home going. I don't know about you, but even though we know these people are saved, there's still a, a hurt that that void causes. And um, uh, we were fortunate to even see people saved at the funeral yesterday. Yeah, which, I think there were like 11 professions. Yeah, uh, and which uh, I am so very grateful for. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned Dr. Rawlings. Uh, Wayne Gwynn was one of the top three most influential men in my life. And, you know, one of the things that he kind of drilled into me was, you know, life is not fair ministry's not fair. You being fair to it doesn't change the way that often it treats you, but the most influential person in your life is a person you refuse to forgive. I put that quote on my Facebook page last night and uh, with your name on it, and it, that overwhelmed me. That was a statement. Say it again. Well, the, the most influential person in your life is the person that you uh, refuse to forgive because, for instance, let's say an an ex-wife or an ex-husband and you're shopping at Kroger or Aldi or Food Lion and you pull into the parking lot, you see their car immediately, you turn your car around and you'll go five miles out of the way to go somewhere else because they have controlled the narrative. And whether you know it or not, you're a servant to the one you hate. You know, you've heard it, Pastor, the analogy, it's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. You know, you don't you don't forgive because they deserve it. You forgive it's the gift you give yourself it is so you can be free yeah and uh, brother gwen taught that he was 
He was a man of grace. And he modeled it. Oh, my yes, goodness. Yes, he did. He, you know, there was. I've had some bumps in my life. You know, preacher, I've not lived every day of my life at the foot of the cross. I, I'm thankful for, for pastors, preachers, friends who honestly understand the ministry of restoration and reconciliation. And, you know, we preach the God of a second chance. And uh, But thank God there are those men and women who will encourage and stand and support. And Pastor Gwen was truly one of those people in my life. Yeah, for the uh, listening audience, you can go to uh, Meet My Mentor podcast I did. Uh, I've done two with him, one just about three months ago. Just scroll down, Meet My Mentor, Wayne Gwynn, hear his voice, hear his stories. Uh, just a giant in Indeed. your life, Jamie. Indeed. A, a giant in my life. He, he discipled the youth group and the girl specifically who won me to Christ. And I walked into this church lost. I was the hippie in this new free Jesus, uh, was it Jesus revolution? Jesus movie? revolution. Have you seen yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I was the hippie that went yes. into church. Yes. And half the people freaked out and the other half embraced me. Thank you for those people. And, uh, she, uh, I treated her terrible and she treated me wonderful. I saw Jesus in her, didn't recognize Jesus, but it was Wayne Gwynn that uh, influenced her and took her up to the camp where she got really grounded and on fire and and uh, so he was the guy it was even before Amen. i knew him he was influencing me and so uh, and he was a singer in his own right yeah. and I, you know historically i remember his his time in detroit and you know he he was such a blessing to so many people leading music and you know he, he knew what it was like to be a staff member yeah, he, he never. He knew what it was like to be a staff member. He didn't say it was never sure positive for sure. God called him to preach. He said God called me to serve. Absolutely. And he said one thing led to another, and uh, boy, he modeled it for us. And can't wait to introduce all my uh, listening audience to Brother Wayne Gwynn on the other side. He's a uh, you know one of the last things he said to me is I can't wait for you to get here, and I can only imagine how real that is today uh, to be where he is. You know, um, I preached the homegoing celebration of life for Miss Linda, his wife. Yes, I was there. And, you know, Pastor, uh, these people, you'll, you'll never understand so often the word, the benefit of a word fitly spoken, you know, just saying the right thing. And these people, you know, we went to their house. We went on vacation together. Um, there were so many times as a young preacher, I, I didn't have two pennies to rub together and he would graciously, you know, buy a meal or just something little. But, uh, when, when men like that speak, it's easy to listen to what they say, because as you, you used the word just now, you know, it wasn't a marquee for them. They modeled it. They modeled the, the spirit filled life. Yeah. We always want to focus on the big events and the crowds and yet uh, it really comes down to simple things a word well spoken it really does and you know as a pastor and you have faithfully served as a pastor and now here you are traveling and sharing the sage wisdom that comes with all of these years of pastoring I, I can tell you the pandemic has greatly impeded our local church attendance. And, and listen, I'm thankful for podcasts. I'm thankful for webcast. I'm thankful for streaming services, but church on the couch will never be like church in the house, uh, to be together, to do life together. And, uh, 
that's why it is. It's so beneficial uh, to be a part of a community and to have a church you can go to. And, man, if you're going to talk about your pastor, do it on your knees. Talk to somebody who can do him some good. Don't, don't hurt the man of God. Lift him up and pray. He's not perfect. He's flawed like the rest of us. But, you know, as an evangelist, being in a different church every week for over 40 years, and sometimes almost 300 days a year just to see uh, the, the heartache. You know, Falwell, Dr. Falwell, he had years ago an article that came out. I think it was called The Fundamentalist Journal, Duke. I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, I used to read it, yep. And there was, a, there was an article, Why Preachers' Kids Go Bad. And I remember one of the, one of the main points of that article was my dad is a pastor to everybody but me. And I thought, man, here I am traveling 200-plus days a year. And pastors, you know, the tyranny of the urgent, we're trying to go here, there, hospital visits, and here's our family hanging on for dear life. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm probably talking too much, Duke, but, you know, I, uh, I may not be the best example, but at least I could be a good warning and uh, look, there's some things we need to check, we need to change, but we need to get back to some preaching and teaching and evangelism. We got to have that in our churches. Yeah, just screaming, balance, balance, balance. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, Jamie, you've been on the road. You've seen America change from when you first started preaching to now. Um, you, our grandchildren are growing up in a totally different world than mm-hmm. you and I grew up in. Uh, what What do you see? In, in churches today that uh, kind of burden you? And then the other side, what do you see that encourages you? I am, I am deeply concerned that in our effort uh, to be culturally relevant, mm-hmm. where do you draw the line between what's wrong and what's right? How, how close to the edge will you go? And, I, you know, I, I hate to use these analogies, but... I mean, I, I promise you, I'm in churches <clears throat> that seem like, <clears throat> excuse me, whether they're overtly doing it or covertly doing it, they're just walking too close to that line. And there there needs to be a distinction between a Christ follower and a worldling. And uh, <clears throat> the woke mentality and, uh, you know, even a lack of evangelism, you know, you know, doctrinally, where you stand is between you and the Lord. But man, you know, there were thousands of denominational churches last year that didn't baptize one single convert. Thousands that baptized no one. And a lot of it is this doctrinal culture that's been embraced, uh, you know, hyper this and hyper that. And We've got to remember that our churches are filled with people that need Christ, and uh, they need to be saved. They need to be born again. They need to be taught. Uh, and I am, to to be honest, what I'm thankful for are innovative thinkers like yourself. Who, yes, at 70 years old, you've not just rolled over and said, "I'm 70," and so now I'm going to play golf for the rest of my life. No, there's that passion, and I thank God again that 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 we're able to see young men. Uh, like, you know, this past week, we, we have been in a church that God has moved in, and uh, we need to see more of that. But these are very difficult times. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote in my journal, 
don't complain about what you permit. If you allow it to happen, don't complain about it. And we need to be, we need to be mechanisms of change for the good. A lot of churches are a few funerals away from closing their doors, and it's change or die. Yeah, I, all I know is what I know in my experience when Jesus came into my heart and forgave a whole bunch of sin, there was a fire that was lit, and the fire's never gone out. Age has nothing to do with it. No. Uh, I know it was John or Charles Wesley was asked, why do you draw such big crowds? You have no proper education. You have no recognition of any religious organization that sanctions you. Kind of sounds you like you yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't supposed to be who you are. <laughs> and yet uh, you draw these huge crowds out under the oak tree. And uh, he said, I set my soul aflame with the word of God and people come Amen. watch me burn. And I don't know anything but, but passion and unction and urgency, and that kind of bothers me when people want to douse the fire. Well, you know, Pastor, that segues into this other influence in my life. My father, 88 years old, he worked at Formica Corporation in Cincinnati for 44 years, drove a school bus for 58 years up until just about three years ago. He still goes two or three times a week to his church and collates Bibles. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has a sixth grade education as a young boy. You know, he had asthma and, of course, not access to all the kinds of medicine that we have today. But my dad, I, you know, Pastor, I have never <laughs> in my whole life ever heard him say a curse word, never seen him smoke, never seen him drink a drop of liquor. I asked dad, I said, when did you get saved? He said, son, one Christmas, you were a little boy. You were just two. I ruined Christmas uh, for the family. He said, I was so drunk. He said, I ruined it. He said, I got up the next morning and I told your mother, I've got to quit doing this. He said, I didn't get saved that day. I didn't get saved that day, but I quit drinking. I haven't touched a drop. And then he went on to say, I would take your mom to church and I would sit in the car and I would listen to the landmark hour. And I'd listen to Dr. Rawlings preach while mom went to the Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Norwood, Ohio. And um, I, I go back to those things. And even you, Duke, even now influence me in such a positive way because of your heart for God. Again, this sounds so gooey and uh, it sounds in some ways mutual admiration, but I thank God for you. I, I'm thankful that um, there are men and women. Let's not forget the women in our lives that that champion the cause. Uh, you know, again, I, it's hard being a husband. I mean, my wife asked me the other day, she, you know, are those your pants in the floor? Well, <laughs> if, they're, if they're not... <laughs> There's some questions I have for you. And, you know, of course, wonder how they got there. You don't see any mine sitting around there, do you? <laughs> oh, of course not. Perfect, Tina. <laughs> you know, it is just, it's just, it's a challenge being a, a dad, a husband, a pastor, a father, a friend. And you mentioned kids. Man, our kids don't listen to what we say as much as they watch how we live. I never thought, Pastor, I would be so grateful at 66 years old to say, my girls are in church. They love the Lord. They're serving the Lord in some capacity. I'm so very, very grateful for that. That's, that's our true riches. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, for me, I just noticed I was packing. We're in my hotel room right now here in Melbourne, Florida. I'm starting actually to resemble my this luggage. This is our studio, Oh, this Jamie. is it. This well, is our studio. Our studio, yes. Uh, but, yeah, I was looking. I've got a wheel off, a handle broken. I thought, that's like me. You know, these bodies wear out. You know, I get up every day and look and think, what in the world has happened to me? But God is faithful, and... Um, I am happy to be able to continue, and I'd just like to ask your listeners, just pray for me. Pray that God will continue to give me the strength to get out and share the message of faith to a lost and dying world. Yeah. I have uh, one last question. I always end my interviews with this, and I'm not in a hurry here at all, but uh, we're turning on the TV and listening to some pretty bad stuff going down in our country and around the world, facing famines and things. Jesus said he's coming back. Oh, so oh. What, are, what are your thoughts about, are we, are we getting close to that? What preacher, preacher, you know, here's, here's the interesting caveat. Paul said, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So you take a literal interpretation of that, huh? Yeah, Paul thought he was going. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, agree, uh, I agree with you the, and Paul. The, the reality is uh, the world is not going to get better. As a matter of fact, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. But that doesn't mean we sit on our laurels. Where we're, we're sin abounds, grace did much more abound. And this is the most wonderful time. Listen, if, you, if we were ever going to be soul conscious... You know, I, I, I remember this gentleman says, you know, I just don't want to keep talking to my son about Jesus. I don't want to drive him further away. And I asked to where? You know, hell number two, there's not a place worse than where he's already going. Do you realize we're running out of time? And, you know, Pastor, if I were an atheist, if I were an atheist, reading a Bible is like reading tomorrow morning's headlines. Mm-hmm. Bible says in the last days you'll have kids, but you won't enjoy them because they'll go into captivity. The Bible says strangers have devoured your land and you don't even know it. You know, the Bible says weak enemies have destroyed your armies. You know, this is this is up for debate, but we haven't won a war since World War II. Mm-hmm. I mean, Korea, there's it's kind of a flip of the coin. Yeah, it's a stalemate. Yeah, we, we, we lost in Vietnam. And by the way, again, this is just my thought. Uh, you know, this this country owes an apology to every soldier and their family male and female, who fought in the Vietnam War where victory was not our goal and victory wasn't possible. I share your opinion, preacher. But, you know, I'm telling you. And then, of course, you know, the Middle East, do do you know if you know your Bible, there will never be a solution to that until Jesus comes. And uh, so to answer your question, preacher, I, I believe every day we're a breath away, we're closer and that serves for me as a directive marching orders. Just keep making a difference. Time is short. Yeah. Well, that's what I've been devoting my life to this final part of my journey. I've been kind of a prophecy junkie, and I have a lot of preacher friends around the country that want to come. And I guess the, you know, when I was pastoring, I didn't have six, eight hours a day to study and listen and try to gather the news and formulate it into uh, prophetic messages like I do now. But uh, that's that's how I'm wrapping up my journey. Why uh, don't you tell us, uh, Pastor, in, in in a like a bullet point, what is the absolute most screaming reality that you see in the world and the culture today that says Jesus is coming? Technology, one word. 
explain that. When you read Revelation chapter 13, the image of the beast speaking, uh, the cashless society, mark of the beast, uh, uh, universal control of the populace by one man. I read that in 1972. It sounded like a Star Trek movie. How could this be? I know we're supposed to take a literal interpretation of the scriptures, but how can you do that? Well, now a fifth grader can see how that scripture. And just, I think it was last week, Joe Rogan had a Bible open on his uh, oh my. podcast deck, uh, desk reading Revelation chapter 13 and said, these, these uh, deplorables that we've been making fun of for the last uh, 30 years, all of my life, they were onto something. They, they knew something that we didn't know. And this book is 2,000 years old. Amen. And so technology, and you know, of course, the major biggest sign of all, the Jews came home 1948, retook Jerusalem 1967. Israel is the hourglass. Israel is, is the uh, time God's time frame. clock, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so every, the nations are aligned. That's what I devote most of my podcast to. I do some interviews to get some interesting people on. Uh, but it's, it's try to keep it. You got time for one more question? Yeah. Yeah. I, so oh, I'm, I'm not in a hurry. What here. is your take on, uh, those who say we are in the tribulation right now? I mean, do you believe, do you, what do you believe about the tribulation? Well, first of all, it's not a point of somebody is or isn't a Christian. It's people who are Christians, uh, caring about what's going on. And so I, I wouldn't argue with these people. I just love on them. And and some people think that perhaps we're in the tribulation because days are dark sure. and they're getting darker, just sure. like you quoted scripture, worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But uh, I, I don't believe we're in the tribulation because there's a clear distinction in the scripture between Israel and the promise God made to Israel, the Abrahamic covenant, and the church. Right. Israel's a bride of Jehovah, right. God the Father, and Christ is the bride, uh, or the church is the bride of Christ. And there's a clear cutting off of Israel in the crucifixion of Jesus. Israel's cut off, Romans chapter 11. Correct. And the 69 weeks of, of Daniel's 70th week, 70 weeks, 69 of those groups of seven years, seven uh, times 69 gets kind of technical, but 483 years had passed for Israel for the signing of the decree of Artaxerxes, king of uh, Persia, to rebuild the walls. And Christ was crucified and the Jewish clock stopped. And the the when that Jew, and when the church goes home at the rapture of the church, the seventieth week of Daniel, the tribulation begins, and that cannot happen. Second Thessalonians two, until the Holy Spirit, who dwells in believers, is taken out of the way. Amen. Then shall that wicked Antichrist be revealed. Amen. First thing he does is he confirms the covenant with the Jewish people, Daniel nine twenty seven. And he confirms a covenant which is already there, just not enforced. And the world's going to be seeing wars and rumors of wars, which we have now, which makes them long for peace. And right after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist rides in on that uh, white horse of peace. Mm. And mm. the world thinks he's got to be the man. Yeah. And, of course, the Holy Spirit has taken the believers out and I think they're setting up all this UFO talk. I think they're Absolutely. setting up. Absolutely. Yeah. Give me we a had that conversation that. last week. You know, we had that very conversation. They're greasing the skids. Yeah. They're wanting people to know, hey, so here's an explanation for all of that. Yeah. Aliens came and, and a spacecraft and took all the deplorables away. So 
Yeah, I would say technology is the main thing. All the nations are aligned uh, morally. We're just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Correct. Uh, another thing that really hits me when Jesus said it'll be as the days of uh, Noah, and you go back to Genesis uh, 6 when Noah was... Uh, the conditions were being set up where God called Noah to build an ark. It talked about the sons of God cohabiting uh, with the daughters of men. Something mm-hmm. genetically was going on, mm-hmm. and it created, the Bible says, giants. There were giants in the land that day, mm-hmm. something genetically the world had never seen before, and men of renown. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see a lot of those ancient uh, building edifices, the pyramids and uh, Egypt, in many places around the world. And uh, modern science says, how did they do that? Well, I think the answer is right there in the text. Right. Men of renown did it. Renowned intelligence. uh, And I think it was a fusion of demons and people. Uh, And it says in Jude about a certain select group of angels who left their natural habitation. Oh, my. It was something genetic going on. I have a podcast called The Genetic Apocalypse that goes into great detail about uh, genetically what happened biblically and what is happening genetically today are genetically modified foods, which I think are very unhealthy for our bodies where the world is full of cancer like never before. So yeah, I, I think Jesus is coming. Uh, and, and the sooner the better, Amen. Uh, I'm not to looking, God be the glory. I'm not looking for a hole in the ground. No. I'm looking for a hole in the sky. <laughs> I'm not listening for a sound. I'm, I'm looking for him to come and, or I'm not looking for a sign. I'm listening for a sound is what they yeah, say. Yeah, trumpet. That's trumpet what I believe. Very well, give us a final exhortation. <clears throat> well, you're only one choice away from a different life. You have the opportunity to be a blessing. You know, blessing comes from obedience. Curses come from being disobedient. You're one choice away from a different life. But uh, I, I want to leave you with something that's changed the way I look at life, and that is this. You need to quit asking God to change the landscape of your life while you remain loyal to the thing that's killing you. Whatever you do, surrender your life to Christ. Let him be the Lord of your life, and uh, you'll have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When, when we have these times like we have had this week where friends die, and but we have comfort in knowing that they're with the Lord. And if you're not saved, if you don't know Christ, settle that even now. Pray and ask the Lord to come into your heart to save you, forgive your sin, and he'll do just that. Yep, I remember the day I did it, June 18th, 1972. Amen. Cook Road Baptist Church. The hippie spoken dope on the outside, came on inside, got on his knees. And uh, it's funny, your preacher, John Rawlings, had put money into that project to build the auditorium Amen. that I got saved in. Glory. Isn't that amazing? And here we are. Yeah. Thankful. 40, 50, 50 for me, 51 years later. Well, uh, audience, thank you for tuning in. I know this was a blessing for you. Uh, pray for Jamie Ragel. How can they, uh, how can they follow you, Jamie? So... <clears throat> The website, jamieragle.com, that's J-A-M-E-Y-R-A-G-L-E.com, jamieragle.com, and, of course, all the social media platforms, Jamie Ragel, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. (laughs) You'll love his preaching. Uh, You love him personally even more than that. He lives what he preaches. He's been a blessing to me, a blessing to our church, and uh, glad I could share my good friend with you today. Thank so, you, Pastor. Lord bless you. Love you, buddy. Thank you, Pastor. Love and you. love you for listening. Uh, tune in again. Uh, 
get everything I can uh, into your hearts to bless you. And uh, your listening blesses me. So God bless. See you next time. Bye-bye.